We're going to be thinking about the statement, Behold the Lamb. It just kind of came into my head uh, early last week. Behold the Lamb. We hear that often. And of course we know that comes out of John and many other places in Scripture. But this was the declaration that John the baptizer said whenever Jesus approached. He called everyone's attention away and he said, Behold the Lamb. And so as we come on Christmas Day, being on the Lord's Day, we come to, I hope, behold the Lamb. When we, when we think of, of Christmas, uh, which is, a, from what I understand, a, a, a Catholic term, the Christ Mass, when you mass together for Christ, that's where the word comes from, uh, we, we come together for that gathering to focus on the birth of the Christ, the Anointed One. But do we think about that in the, in the typology that Scripture reveals as the Lamb of God? And so, behold, the Lamb then is a very powerful statement of divine truth, of divine fact. It should hit you like a ball-peeing hammer between the eyes. And if, if ever, has anyone ever here messed with a ball-peeing hammer much? And you can really get a good wallop with something, especially if you turn it around to the ball part. Okay? So, it should be that, that forceful. Behold the Lamb. And so, what I want to do simply today is, is to acquaint you with that a little bit deeper. One of the things that's intimidating, actually, about preaching at Northridge is that we are, we are a, a, a church of no small means when it comes to, to Bible knowledge. I mean, Northridge is... Very Bible astute, uh, and they know the Scripture. So uh, just uh, hang with me then as we take a look in a survey of Behold the Lamb connected from Genesis to Maps. Okay? And I promise I won't uh, delay any longer. So Behold the Lamb. Um, in honor of God and His Word, let's stand as we read this first one. This is the emphases that we're going to be looking at. Behold the Lamb, John chapter 1, verse 29 and 30. Took the liberty of putting it up on the screen as I do every Sunday. But the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, exclamation point, the Lamb of God, descriptively, who takes away the sin of the world. Explanation. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Incarnation. John chapter 1, verse 35 and 36, in other words, a few verses later, again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus, he, he, as he walked, so Jesus is walking, he said, behold the Lamb of God. So, twice in a few verses, John, the forerunner, introduces Jesus to the crowds and to his disciples as he gazes upon him, looks steadfastly at him, and he says this, Behold the Lamb of God. I think there's a lot there to be uncovered. So let's pray. Father, give us great wisdom in understanding this title, this, uh, this typology, this symbolism, and help us to appropriate it this Christmas Day, 2022, in the midst of junk but also in the midst of a very real and reigning Christ that's not waiting to reign, is reigning now. God, 
we have very many competing and contrary views when it comes to that. And I ask God that you would give us a heart to see the victory. It is sure and it is certain because it's in play now. Jesus said, now the kingdom of God has come upon you now. So, Lord, help us to engage that in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. So we all know that John and Jesus were cousins, right? And it's highly doubtful that they had never met. I just can't believe it's not like they had to drive 45 miles to get to one another only on the weekends. So. When John saw Jesus coming, he doesn't say, my cousin, Jesus, yeah, he's the one that I'm telling you about. He says, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, some would say, well, John obviously didn't know it was Jesus because when he got put in jail, he said, are you the coming one or do we look for another? He wasn't asking because he didn't know it. John was having what so many of us have so many times, a crisis of faith. Sometimes we get knocked down a, a little. And, then, and imagine with all that he was going through, being attacked relentlessly by the Pharisees, religious leaders, knowing his job to introduce Jesus as the Lamb of God. He's finding himself in a, in a Roman jail. He knows he's about to lose his head. Okay. And so he's there in a very dark, uncomfortable place. Oftentimes, when we see pictures of, of the depictions of these kinds of miseries, the one thing that fails to come from a picture is the smells associated with it. Now, oftentimes, it's rough to look on something that has died and in the ditch, but what if you could smell the death in the air? See, that even makes it... So to the, to the human body, to the human psyche, you can imagine that John's question is not uh, illogical, it's not out of step, and it reveals the humanity with which Jesus comes into. And so when John asks him, are you the coming one? I'm sure in the fine print, if you will... You are, right? Because I'm hurting. And then Jesus venerates John as one, no one being born greater among women than John. So, yes, Jesus says, I am the Lamb. So, when John says this, behold the Lamb of God. Behold, if you will, is attentively beholding. I mean, that's really, don't, don't you hate those definitions? When you look up the word and it gives you the word as a definition, don't like that. But look at the antecedent, attentively beholding, attentively. I, just by way of analogy, a very weak one, the only one I can come up with at the moment. Uh, so because, you know, when, when you on our iPhones, I don't know if droids have those, but you can have the track your family people thing, the little app. And so I watch for Rindy when she gets off work and it shows her little dot moving you know, because I like to be outside when she pulls up as, as much as I can be because I, I'm attentively anticipating her arrival 29 years after the fact, okay, because I'm excited. Why? Well, because I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm looking forward to her arrival. I'm attentively looking. I'm even using technology because I know about, and I'm in so attentive to it that I know about how long it takes her to leave there and when she comes over the hill. I can even tell her headlight beams compared to other cars now. Okay, I know it. 
I mean, I know the signs of her coming, okay? Because I want to be on the porch ready to receive her. Well, John says when he's looking, he's been preaching, he's been forerunning, he's been, he's been doing what Isaiah said, make the, the high places low and the, and the low places high and everything in the middle straight and, because prepare the way of the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then, of course, Jesus says the kingdom of God is upon you. Right? So John says, behold, look attentively. And I think with that, we could not lose the sight that remember the scriptures. That's why you should be looking. So goes on to say, and this is from Adam Clark, commentator. So attentively beholding to view with steadfastness and attention. Steadfastly, attentively. He who desires to discover the glories and excellencies of this Lamb of God must thus look on Him. At first sight, He appears only as a man among men and as a dying in testimony to the truth, as many others have died. But on a more attentive consideration, He appears to be no less than God manifest in the flesh and by His death making an atonement For the sin of the world, which is why the Roman soldier said below when he passed, when Jesus gave up his spirit, that earthquake happened, that everything. And the Roman soldier says, surely this was the son of God. I just wonder what kind of horror must have went through that man. And what awesome, I have to believe, reverence in that same moment happened when his eyes were opened To what he was standing beneath when that happened. So behold, attentively looking, the Lamb of God. By this appeal, John designed to direct the attention of his own disciples to Jesus. So John says, stop looking at me. That's how you know when you have a good Sunday school teacher, a good preacher, pastor, missionary, godly parent, friend, godly friend, husband, wife. When they say, don't look at me, look to the one I'm trying to tell you about. It's not about me, it's about him working through, but look to him. And, G- and John is saying, yeah, but I'm here to tell about him. I got two disciples here on standby. Y'all need to move on. He directs their attention to his own disciples. And not only as the great sacrifice for the sin of the world, but also... As the complete teacher of heavenly truth. The complete teacher. Now, Genesis 3.15. This be, is, is used a lot. But this is where the story of the Lamb really, technically, begins. After the fall. After uh, when God is, had, had, was meting out the curse upon the serpent. And of course, all of the things that happened in creation. And he says in Genesis 3.15... And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is a what we call a proto-evangelion. Walter Kaiser, another uh, really good theologian, he says Genesis 3.15 has commonly been called the proto-evangelion. In other words, proto in Greek is first and evangelion is where we get the word gospel from because it was the original proclamation 
of the promise of God's plan for the whole world. It gave our first parents a glimpse of the person and mission of the one who was going to be the central figure in the unfolding drama of the redemption of the world. The seed or offspring mentioned in this verse became a root or became the root from which the tree of the Old Testament promise of a Messiah grew. So this is it. This is the the first gospel preached there in the Old Testament narrative standing in the garden. God never leaves without hope, nor will He ever be outdone by darkness. Ever be outdone by darkness. Take a good slow read through Psalm 37 whenever you get discouraged about the junk that's going on in the world and has gone on in the world. God will not ever be outdone by darkness. John, so Genesis 3.15 is where we have this concept, this root that begins to grow of the Messiah, of this Lamb. And then later, just to skip ahead, we get into uh, Abraham. This is probably one of the most stark Old Testament pictures of how God will supply Himself a Lamb. In Genesis chapter 22, verses 6 through 8, and you're probably familiar with the story, God asked Abraham to offer up his only promised son, Isaac, which is an odd request considering that God had said previously he, he hates that kind of thing. But Abraham believed God and knew by faith that he had a plan and he would never contradict his character and nature Many times the things we struggle with in Christianity, many, many times, is our flesh causing us to view God in a way that's contradictory to His character and His nature. So, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, yep, I'm right here. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And notice this, Abraham said, my son, and this is where the faith was credited. God will provide for himself the lamb. And that reverberated down through the centuries. As that root that was established in Genesis 3.15 took root and grew. God, Abraham believed God. So the two of them went together, and as you all know, there was, when, when, when Abraham was about to drop the knife, there was a ram caught in the thicket, and thus God provided the lamb. What a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. You got the Father, you got the Son, you got the lamb, you got God providing. It's, an, it's, a, it's amazing. So let's talk about lambs. Never had sheep. Okay, was in ag class with a lot of people that had sheep. And the only thing that I remember them affectionately referring to their sheep were it was grass maggots. And I thought, why? <laughs> we had cattle, didn't understand sheep people. Okay. But all I ever heard about lambs were they get they die two days before they get sick. And that they're not very bright. And this is the imagery with which Jesus refers to us as. <laughs> okay? So, but Jesus is our lamb. 
throughout the Old Testament, the lamb is the preferred sacrificial animal. It is the animal most frequently specified in the Levitical law of sacrifice. Leviticus chapter 11, which we haven't got to yet, and I believe it's the sin offering, talks about that. So it's fitting that the innocent, harmless lamb is the Old Testament's prime sacrificial symbol. Jesus, the innocent lamb of God, offered himself as a sacrifice for us. He took our place as the ram of Genesis 22. We just read with Abraham. So Jesus takes our place, just like he took the place of Isaac. And through his suffering, the sinless Son of God purged our sins and made us clean. Now, before we read 1 Peter, I want to remind you, as we've been going through Leviticus, in order to come before God, you must have a covering. Your sin must be atoned for. There must be blood shed, and that blood must be appropriated to you. The word atonement is probably more easily understood this way. Think of it as the way it's spelled, at one meant. A-T, at one, O-N-E, meant, M-E-N-T, at one meant. So when when Christ's blood is, is, is shed... For the unbelieving sinner that God calls in regeneration by electing grace, God, that sinner comes, he can't resist, he comes, and that blood is shed, is applied to that soul, and now he has at-one-ment with the Father. He's made clean. He has a covering by God. And he can come now and offer His peace offerings, with which he shares with everyone he knows. Come, come to the banqueting table. Come, partake of that with God, which God has done for me. Come and have have that with me. See? So the the lamb. So first Peter chapter one, verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Because it had to be perfect. So that's Leviticus. Well, we talk about the lamb. What about the Paschal lamb? Which is just where we get our word Passover from. In in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want to. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. So they're all in Egypt. and, And they're going through it. God is showing up the gods of Egypt. He's destroying every one of them. This is the last one to fall. The death of all the firstborn is about to happen. Of both man and beast. So the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And it's so significant that it's the beginning of everything for them. So he says, Speak, of, speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, On the tenth of, the, of this month every man shall take for himself, notice, a lamb. Let him and his neighbor, or Take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. So every household had to have a lamb. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make count, you you shall make your count for the lamb. 
Your lamb, so lamb, lamb, lamb keeps happening, right? Lamb, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel of the houses where they eat it. And I don't know if you've ever thought of it, but the doorpost of the house, the lentil. Okay, now, I don't want to go too far with that, but still, you can't help but see a bit of imagery of the cross. So, then they shall eat the fish, <laughs> the flesh, on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. And it was a bitter death, was it not, that Christ endured? Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire. Now notice this, and this is kind of gross, but its head with its legs and its entrails, all of it. You can't have a partial Jesus, you know. You can't have just a little Jesus. I'll take all of his love, thanks, but I want none of his holiness. Yeah. And that's a big gospel being preached today, or I should say a false gospel. Thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall be ready, in other words. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, and I will execute judgment. And then he says this statement. I am the Lord. I am. Now, we read in Leviticus, we're going to get into some place where he says this same phrase a lot. I am the Lord. You're going to do this because I am the Lord. Now, imagine many times when we argue with God and he simply reminds us, I am the Lord. I don't care what you've written, what you think, he says. I don't care what you feel about it. I am the Lord. Thus says the Lord. You got problems, but I am the Lord. I can fix it all. I can heal it all, but I am the Lord. Which means that because I am the Lord, he says, you do it my way. You don't come to Christ your way. You come to Christ his way. So he says, I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And, and this is what God says in verse 13. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike this land. And I thank God that so many of us here today have the blood applied so that when God sees us, he passes over in that judgment that we deserve. Do you understand the blood of the lamb? Behold here the lamb. Behold it. Be attentive to it. Appropriate it. Apply it. Yield to it. In Isaiah 53 and verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. 
And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. One of the things that uh, I want to just talk a little bit about is this issue of a, of a lamb's uh, disposition. I've been around some sheep, but I read about sheep too from shepherds and stuff. And when they're being sheared, it's not uncommon to have a few of them kick a little bit at first and scream. But, but the way the shepherds handle them, the way they, they actually set them a certain way, and the, and the sheep become so relaxed that their head just kind of goes, and they look dead, but they're not. They're just, they're, the way they're being handled, they're so relaxed under the care of the shearing they don't scream and they don't kick. Now, juxtapose that. I hate that word, but it's a good one. To a goat, by nature, would make you want to rip your skin off as you deal with them. Just, and they just go nuts and they scream and they stare at you in the eye. With those really weird looking eyes. And you're trying to help them. And trim their hooves. And give them shots. And if you have goats that have hair. They just scream. And they don't stop. And it doesn't matter how many years you do it. Because goats. Are. They were the only thing that would live through a nuclear blast. Okay. But Jesus. Jesus handled by the strength of the Father, right? Because God, now we're getting into the Trinity, boy. We're seeing the triunity of God here. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, but he opened not his mouth. If you remember when he was standing before Pilate, he didn't speak. And Pilate had the nerve to say, you know, I have the power to let you go. To which Jesus responded, you only have power that's given to you. Do, do not think that this moment that I could not pray to my father and he should give me how many legions of angels? Ten legions of angels, which is a lot of angels. But then he didn't say anything else. I just think it's good and very interesting that Jesus reminded Pilate that the power that he has Simply just there for a moment. Of course, we all know how it ended with Pilate. I read some uh, church tradition or history that says that uh, for the rest of his days, uh, Pilate tried his best to get the blood off his hands, but he could not. And uh, I believe he killed himself, I think. He killed himself. He could never get the blood off his hands. So I, now, again, that's secondhand. I, I don't know, but. Jesus reminded him, he opened not his mouth, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So I would just simply say to you again, behold the Lamb of God. In Luke chapter 1, verse 30 and 33, we're getting into the issue of Mary, setting up for chapter 2. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. 
And he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Present tense. Okay. Though we have not seen a a consummated as far as the end of it. Don't think for a second that Jesus isn't reigning even now. Okay. Just like Pilate had a little bit of power for a little bit. And I'm talking a speck of a second. So these people around us today have that little bit. But Jesus is ruling and reigning. Where is he seated? Yes, he is. It's not like he's waiting. Can we start now? Can we start now? He's doing it now. Think about that for a future and a hope. Okay? Cannot say I can't wait till it starts. It started. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Luke chapter 2 then. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. That's where the sheep are. This territory they were in, by the way, was really good for raising sheep. And these mangers... We're not the wooden kind that we would imagine, but we're hewn out of rocks and more like caves. But they laid him there in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There's never been room for Jesus in the world. There still isn't room for Jesus in the world. And the irony is, he holds it all together by the word of his power. Isn't that weird and good all at the same time? Behold the Lamb, okay? I'm afraid I'm going to get done early today. I don't know what to do with myself. (sighs) Just take it in, okay? So, (laughs) Revelation chapter 5. Told you we'd go all the way over here. Revelation chapter 5. Wow. Wow. We have a picture of the throne room of heaven beginning in chapter 4. And as I was just trying to think of when all this, you know, weird thoughts, huh, Brian and JT? When you get a sermon, it rolls around in your head and you get all these things that just kind of stick really hard and you got to write it down. Okay, so with John speaking, behold the Lamb, I couldn't help but immediately my mind went to Revelation chapter 5. Who is able to take the scroll? Man. So I'm going to read this. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Here it is. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So that eliminates pretty much everybody. So John wept much. Imagine, nobody. And John is like, that's a bad deal. I wept much because no one was found worthy, actually. See, it's not about ability. It's about worthiness. Worthy. Holy, separate from sinners. Man, if that doesn't just get you. 
No one's found worthy to open and read the scroll. Notice this part. Or to look at it. You can't even look at it. We can't even look at it. What are we going to do? We have nothing. We can't bring anything. We can't make it up. Our best is nothing but filthiness. John is saying, what are we going to do? Who can open it? Who's worthy? Verse 5. But one of the elders said to me, don't weep. Here it is. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. It all comes together. Do you see it all sewn together? The root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. So in other words, behold the lamb. Behold. He's prevailed. Guess what, church? He's still prevailing. In fact, he's prevailing more. More and more and more. And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. As though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God which is perfect power sent out into all the earth. And then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And did, G, did God not say, I will, you reign. Did he not say this to, to Jesus? You reign until I put all enemies under your feet. It's a progressive thing. He's reigning now. And all enemies are being put under his feet now. We're not waiting for anything to start here. And now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Before the lamb, I love the language, having, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. What should we be praying for? Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Right? And they sang a new song saying, and this, I love this. Remember, there was no one found worthy. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And have redeemed us to God by your blood. The Paschal Lamb. The Passover Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And, has made, and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures. And the elders of the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. And thousands of thousands. Which is just a way for those people to say lots. Okay, And they said this, and here it is again in complete refrain. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. How can you not shout? And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. <laughs> so be it. We agree. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Grant Osborne, I think, has a perfect summation here. He says, the early verses of the chapter focus on the fact that no human or even celestial agency will suffice in opening this scroll. 
Only the Lamb has the power to open the seals. The worship of the Lamb parallels the worship of God. And again, it is the necessary prelude to judgment. The Lamb has purchased the people of God by His blood sacrifice and thereby rendered Himself worthy to lead also in judgment. The cross is the basis of both divine love, which is redemption, and justice, which is judgment. So on this Christmas Day, 2022, when all the Western European nations seem to have lost their collective mind, and all seem to have turned to the gospel of secular humanism in mass. Just remember one thing. Jesus isn't waiting to reign. Behold the Lamb. Behold Him who is worthy. Who has taken the scroll. And whose enemies are at this very moment being subjected under His feet. Remember a cross outside the western nations. What God is doing in those nations who are the most violent to his people. And how the gospel is spreading like wildfire. Yes. Take a look at that. Take a hard look at it. Take a look at us and read Psalm 37. And thank God. Well, thank God that we're here for such a time as this. And then thank God for what he's about to do. And thank God that we can be the church at such a moment. And that we too will stand with our brethren in the other countries who are in the prisons, who are in the villages, who are paying with their life, who are preaching with power and passion. That we may stand and say, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know Christ today? Because Christmas is nothing to you without a covering. That's why he's there. Do you know Jesus? Have you repented of your sin? Have you given your life over? Have you said, I am done. I I need you. I'm finished. Because I will tell you this. The Bible says there is a certain fearful expectation of fiery judgment to fall upon those who reject and turn away from the Lamb. Receive with meekness then the gospel of Christ, which is able to save your soul. And let this Christmas day be truly one of remembrance, as that's the day that you took the best gift that was ever offered to humanity. And saint, celebrate. Yet you know the Lamb.